Welcome back to the Valley to Peak Nutrition Podcast. I'm joined by Mark again this week. We'll look at um, a couple of different topics that we'll jump into here in a little bit. Mark, how's it going? Good, man. How about yourself? Good. I've got no complaints. It's a nice day in Boise. We've had like a string. Of, we had a string of really warm days. And then it got really cold. And today and tomorrow, it's supposed to be a couple of nice. So I'll try to get out, um, get out and do something. You sound like you're in my area with all the swings and ups and downs. <laughs> oh, man, my stepmom, uh, who still lives in the Midwest, lives in Indiana, and she said that they had a couple of days where it was like 60 and 70, and then today they were predicting snow. And like you and I chatted about, you guys were waiting on some snow, got a little bit of snow, canceled school. Yep. And yeah, that's today. Kids are home because of snow. And then uh, literally two days from now, it's supposed to be 68. So there you that's go. Crazy. How uh, How's your training coming and is is all of the snow impacting your ability to be able to run and get the miles as you try to plan for an ultra yeah it has impacted it a little bit not too bad um yeah i don't mind the cold obviously it's just when it's uh either too dangerous to get on the trails it forces me to the road or there's definitely been times where it's been too dangerous to even get on the road um or even if they've been plowed just the concern of uh one black ice or two not having any sort of uh margin on the road to get away from traffic because it's banked with snow so it's affected it i went to uh the gym like an actual gym for the first time in i don't know how many years uh literally went in there and signed up for their week free trial kind of knowing full well i was never going to come back but (laughs) i did it to use some cardio equipment um and yeah dude it was uh it's freaking miserable i hate i hate being in that environment versus the idea of putting miles on outside in fresh air and yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's, so. it's, it's so much, at least for me, it's so much easier to kind of lose myself in a good way, lose myself in the moment whenever I can be outside doing something. But man, you get in that, that gym, like I'm good for 20 minutes and I'll think, okay, you know, I've got X number of minutes left in the workout. I look down at my watch and what seems like should have been another 20 minutes past and it's two. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know what it is about. I mean, maybe it's just that, that simple difference of being outside versus inside, but those treadmill runs or anything inside for that matter for longer durations can be crappy. Yeah. I was slated to do 10 miles that day and it took everything in me to make it. <laughs> and I did eight and I was just like, that's enough. I don't want to endure two more miles you know of this it was terrible so i'm sure i could get used to it again if i had to but having not been in that experience and environment a while let's forget about it we always talk so much about like you know the value of mental discipline and i feel like that term's even kind of played out at this point but you know just the value of really having structure in your life you talk about developing mental discipline plan 10 miles on a treadmill and try to endure (laughs) it right who cares about the pace just try to stay in there that long yeah absolutely did you ever decide if you were going to sign up for the formal ultra or do the one kind of the DIY route that you were talking about? I think I'm going DIY. Um, actually a good friend throughout an idea. There's a loop down here that is, I think it's, I've done it before, but it's been a few years. Uh, I think it's at 22 miles. Um, and so the original kind of DIY plan was to, I think I mentioned before, do this short, but very uh, vertical loop that I have access to. Um, so that was one idea, but now um, a buddy of mine threw out, hey, would you be interested in going down and doing this loop sometime? And so I'm kind of going to do that. Honestly, 
I was talking with somebody about this the other day. Um, I've been wrestling with trying to be ambitious, but at the same time, be practical, uh, specifically because of training volume. Um, I just feel like I'm getting to this point where continuing to increase my weekly mileage is getting hard to do without sacrificing time away from other things. And so as good as my plan was in the spreadsheet that I had of like my progression and weekly mileage of me getting to see that for this specific season in life, it's a little bit not unrealistic, but I just have to make, uh, sacrifices to achieve that, that I'm not sure I'm willing to make at this point. So I still, I still want to do it. I just don't think it's the right time for me to do an ultra. Um, yeah, not based on the physical stuff, but just the time invested to, to train properly. I am in the same boat. So we talked before about you and I going to Alaska in June and trying to prepare for that. And like, while I certainly want to be prepared for that and I'm willing to sacrifice some of my own personal time, get up early, get outside early and start training. We've got a newborn who's 14 days old as of today, plus a three-year-old and my wife, you know, bears the brunt of that during the week while I'm working. So really trying to remind myself that I can't be out on eight, nine, 10 hour excursions on Saturdays and Sundays in the name of a trip. Right. And, and, and two, like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I should say this or not, but sometimes I think stretching yourself a little bit on the training and then just going and doing it is easier than, you know, trying to cover 30 miles in a Saturday and progressively work up to that and all of this, that, and the other. Like, I think this is so relevant because later this afternoon, I'm going to be um, interviewing Mike Prevost, who you guys had on your guys's podcast a while ago, episode 132. And I, I went back to listen to that podcast and he says in there, he highlights the minimum effective dose, which you were sort of like, oh man, that's a challenge to me. And it, and it resonated with me because it's a challenge to me. But Mike's point was, we shouldn't be asking ourselves, you know, how much can I do to prepare? It's really how little can I do to get the benefit that I need for whatever it is that I'm trying to pursue. And that was such a good and timely reminder for me. Yeah, that is good. Really good. All right. So this is what we're talking about today. Two different topics, both based on um, some just some research and some articles, but in combination with that and, and trying not to get too nerdy, really, it's two topics that come up a lot anytime you're talking about performance and nutrition and training and those things. So the first one would be, and I'm really interested to hear your take on both of these. But the, the first topic would be something called protein distribution. And really, what they're saying is we for so long, there's this myth, there's this theory that floats around in the the performance and the training world that you can only absorb about 30 grams of protein at a meal, anything beyond that, you get peed out. And then, you know, I guess on the flip side of that, too, is Oh, well, you can just pile in as much protein as you need. And that's the only way you're going to repair muscle. So we'll talk about that. What's the truth? What's the background to it? <clears throat> what should we be following? What they looked at, what they found, what it means for us. And then the second part is nutrient timing. And a lot of where this theory came about was this idea that when you're finishing your last set or when you're coming off the trail after a training hike or you're coming off the trail training for an ultra, you should be immediately drinking a protein drink in the car to get that protein 
into your muscle. Otherwise, you may as just you may as well have just laid in bed all day because you've lost everything you would have gained had you had had that protein shake there. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You got to get those gains, man. That's right. With a Z. <laughs> all right. So the first one I think would be good to look at would be the protein distribution. And again, the idea behind this was that to get the maximum benefit out of your workout, you should be aiming for a certain amount of protein, but you can't get over 30 grams, right? So the idea is that you can only absorb 30 grams at a meal. Anything beyond that, you lose because the body is saturated with protein. That's that's the theory. What have you heard on that? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm aware of that idea, not from the science, but as you said, I'm I'm speaking from the layman here of quote unquote what I've heard, and some of this has been consumed from science, but again, over the years, so I forget specific sources. But yes, the idea of there's this max, right? So you have like anything else, you have this tank, and it's like you can fill the tank, but the tank's only so big, and then if you put too much protein in the tank, it's not really going to the tank; it's just overflowing, right? And so. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but now your system is essentially working to convert that protein, um, versus kind of using it for the quote unquote restoration, repair, rebuild, um, type benefit that I think most people are looking for with protein. Yeah. So you're right. And the, the idea is, is that yes, once you reach 30, the body is saturated. You can't necessarily, this is the theory. The body is saturated. You can't necessarily get any more. So why take in more? Because, and as the, as the myth goes, um, it's expensive urine, basically you pee it out. So in the both in both of these topics, we looked at two separate articles, right? And so in this article, what they looked at was not only if there's a max dose that you can take in at once, but is there a pattern in which you have certain amounts that you should be taking in over the course of the day to maximize the benefit of your workouts, right? So it's, it is partial distribution, but it's also max doses that you could take in at once. And when, when we say like the nerdy piece of the, the study or the paper, this paper looked at multiple individual studies. So it's really a compilation of all the evidence. This isn't just like, because one thing people are really guilty of when they spout nutrition facts is they cherry pick evidence. So they find one study with five people in it that promotes what it is that their their message is and they suggest that this is or they or they cast that net broad and say this is what everyone should be doing and that is the number one no-no in the rule of science when you study anything in science you have to look at the totality of large groups of people so what's that's what they did what's the name because there's like a scientific i don't want to say scientific but yeah there's a technical name to these quote-unquote study of studies or um summary of studies do you know what i'm talking about yeah so the the when it comes to like the the study hierarchy the gold standard is randomized controlled trials where people that are in the study and most everyone involved literally has no idea who's getting the control versus the thing being studied right and so the reason it's the gold standard is because it's completely unbiased it's totally based off of observation which is the point of of the which is the point of studies you don't want bias in there when they group large studies together and then kind of say okay 
of the collection from everything we've looked at, we call those of the collection of everything that we look at. Here's what the totality of the data says. Those are called meta analysis. Uh, okay, that's what I was looking for. I just wasn't smart enough to say those words. <laughs> well, I unfortunately these are the type of mind-numbing things I read so often that it's just <laughs> ingrained in me. But those the, the the cool thing, the thing that I frankly like about those the most is it it piles everything in there for you, right? Like you you can go back and you it, those type of studies will say, okay, we've looked at 30, 40, 50, sometimes hundreds of this of studies related to this one topic. And amongst all of those, here's what the data says. And it really gives you the opportunity to get a basic understanding of what really matters because you start to see trends and then that helps you project, well, what should people be doing? So that's what they did. They looked at not only is there a max amount of protein that you can take in at once, but is there a way to spread that protein out over the day that's better than, that's better in one way than another. Did you pull anything from the article? Um, in not, particular? No, yeah, not, not necessarily. Um, yeah, I was curious to kind of see what your takeaways, because again, I was like reading it and I felt like some of it was somewhat going over my head. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was kind of curious to like, all right, Kyle, done this down and summarize this for me. What are your takeaways? For what it's worth, I, uh, there are times wherever I have to, I read something in a study. I'm like, God, I don't even remember if that from college. I got to go back and look up what that means. <laughs> <laughs> so what I found, my takeaways were, and what the data says is this. Number one, there's no magic max. So it's not like at 29 grams, you still have room to spare. You can get another gram in, and now all of a sudden you've reached this peak threshold, and you could maximize as much as you possibly could from your intake in your workout. If you're at 31 grams, then all of a sudden you would start to pee it out because you're oversaturated. So that that simply isn't true. What they know is that it's based on individual, it's based on their training volumes, and it's based on the protein pool, P-O-O-L. So I will reference this again in a minute. And whenever we say the pool, that's like a swimming pool. It's based on the protein pool of the individual to determine whether or not they are at a certain protein threshold or not, and what the body then does with that protein if it is in excess, right? So if that pool is full, then it begins to get rid of excess or convert it into energy based on a number of different things. But it's going to be, there, there's, no, there's no max threshold at each meal to determine whether or not that is full, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So yet another instance where there's all these rules of nutrition or things that are often repeated or said, but at the end of the day, well, there may be some truth to those things, individual <laughs> context, variability, et cetera, actually does matter. Matters a ton. It matters a ton. And that's one of the things that we'll talk about at the end is that at the end of the day, and this is something that gets repeated so often in our program is the totals are the are the biggest thing that you could pay attention to. If you've got a total number of protein grams that you should be hitting in a day, because there does exist a max threshold where you are optimizing your protein intake relative to your training volumes to make sure that you're either uh, keeping the muscle you do have or growing the muscle if that's your goal, right? And so at that threshold, if you're below that, 
then there's potential that you lose muscle. Now, are you going to wither away and become, you know, frail? No, not necessarily, but you're also not necessarily getting peak advantage that you could. So it kind of, there's a spectrum that exists based on the person of like, how important is this to you? And if it's, if it's really important, then it might drive the reason to be more specific and to do some of the nuanced tracking to make sure that you're getting this max protein threshold. But if it's not as important to you and you really just care about themes, are you getting protein in during the day? Then you may not choose to to track and neither one of those are, is wrong, but there, there is a target. There is a target that's worth hitting. So that's what they found. There is no max, meaning at 31 grams, you don't all of a sudden start peeing stuff out. At 29 grams, it's not like you've not done anything and you've got room for improvement. There's no total specific max. It depends on the large swimming pool of protein which your body will pull from. The second thing that they found is the distribution over the course of the day does matter in some senses. So we'll cover this more, but Small trickles of protein, or what I always refer to as a small faucet drip, is way better from an absorption standpoint than a large fire hose. So small amounts trickled over the course of the day would be better than long periods of either meals with no protein or fasting and then a large volume of it at dinner, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So about the large volumes and about the small trickles. This was in a separate study where they evaluated 80 grams of protein for a person and they looked at three different groups. One group had 20 grams spaced four times over the day. One group had 40 grams twice a day and one group had 10 grams eight times a day. Everyone had 80 grams, it was just distributed differently. On one end of the spectrum, you have big amounts infrequently, moderate amounts regularly, and then small amounts very frequently. What they found was the Goldilocks approach, that 20 gram increment spaced moderately throughout the day had better protein uptake than the other two groups. And the reasoning behind that is, is again, there is a certain threshold where the switch for building protein gets turned on. So you do have to kind of hit a certain amount. So too little doesn't maximize or doesn't optimize your performance and your nutrition. But then again, too much, or and really what I think mattered more in that 80 gram group where they were only getting 40 grams twice per day was it was just so infrequent. Right. So there was so much time where there was none. It didn't support muscle protein building, which will will make sense whenever we talk about the next study next. But that middle row of getting a small faucet drip of protein throughout the course of the day tend to lead to better muscle protein building than infrequent amounts and large amounts. I'm just thinking through, I mean, for like you mentioned, those those different approaches relating that to someone's average, right? So if the person has the quote unquote three meals a day, maybe some snacks in between that depend on the individual may or may not have protein. Just, I mean, a lot of, a lot of folks could get their complete protein needs in those three meals a day. So on average, would you say it's probably fair to be like, yeah, you're person off the, not necessarily off the street, but your average, say your average client, even Kyle, are they pretty much taking a 
they're getting their protein over three to maybe four servings a day. A hundred percent. Absolutely. And I would say that even like we keep talking about these max thresholds and these max doses, I would say that what actually matters, which is something we'll touch on towards the end of this, this study is probably far less than what the average person is eating, right? So when I, when, when I first start meeting with people, most of them have tried a diet at some point on their own. They've, they've tried some kind of nutrition strategy or several over the course of their life. And nearly all of those have them eating one gram of protein per pound of body weight. So if you get a, a man, let's say, who's at 225, 255, that's a lot of freaking protein to try to that's stuff in during ton. the day. You know, so they're they're struggling with that, but they're thinking that that is an absolute mandate as a part of seeing them progressively meet their goals. And that's not true. So I think the, I don't think I know, the actual dose needed to stimulate growth of the muscle or retain the muscle when you're in a calorie deficit is way lower than your average person thinks. And we'll talk numbers next, but it goes to answer your question of could the average person hit that demand in three or four meals? There's no question. And they could do it without additional supplements. What I saw a lot when I worked at the hospital and outpatient, especially in the lives of working adults and older people would be a meal plan like this. They might have some sort of a mocha or Starbucks for breakfast. So no protein, just a drink. They would have a Snickers or a candy bar as a snack midday. Lunch might be a bag of pretzels and a soda or a diet soda. And then dinner would be this 900 ounce steak <laughs> and baked potato and, and maybe a small side salad, right? And so the pattern of that meal is no protein trickling throughout the course of the day, lots of carbs, lots of fat, and little activity, right? And so in their mind, they'll tell you, well, I don't understand why I can't lose weight. I'm not eating much. My reply is, is you're not eating much volume, but the calories are tremendously high because of the type of things you're eating, right? So if you think about how that relates to what we're talking about in distributing that protein over the course of the day, it could be instead of having the mocha or maybe you get a smaller mocha, you also have some source of protein. And it could be as simple as grabbing a Greek yogurt out of the refrigerator and throwing it in your purse or your backpack, right? And taking that to work, that's 15 grams right there off the top. And so if you get someone whose max thresholds 100 grams and you're already getting 15 to 20 in at breakfast, there's not much that you need to make up over the course of the day. So it, it can definitely be achieved, although it might take some thought and might be different than what you're used to, which may make it seem really challenging in the beginning. But like we talked about in the last podcast, like this just gets so much easier with time. Yeah. I was literally just thinking through, and we've already talked about my boringness of, <laughs> of meals and my overnight oats every day and my simple lunch template, but I was literally just like, all right, what did I eat yesterday? How did that protein uh, come about through the day. And so I was just doing like really rough numbers looking at stuff. And my overnight oats probably has about 30 grams of protein, um, which is usually actually post-workout. And again, I'm not like religious on it must be consumed within five minutes, but that's usually what happens. Uh, if I do six to eight ounces of elk, that's like 40 to 50 grams. So more than enough at lunch. 
yesterday I actually did have some Greek yogurt with like a protein granola on it. So that's like another 15 to 20. And then, yeah, kind of repeat a meat protein for dinner. So yeah, I think I am like getting it over, especially that Greek yogurt snack, like over four essentially servings meals slash snacks throughout the day. Yeah. And, and from a, like from a strategy standpoint, if, if I know what my protein totals personally need to be, and I know how I like to pattern my meals during the day. So for example, like we talked about, you don't necessarily mind skipping breakfast and eating later in the day. Sometimes it's just necessity because of your workout schedule. I hate it. I've got to eat. Like I wake up to eat. And, um, so the idea of, of skipping meals is not appealing to me. My, my, my preferred way of eating is to eat smaller, more frequently. So if I know my protein need at the end of the day, and I know the normal pattern that I tend to eat, in other words, four or five times during a day, whether it's meals or snacks, I simply take that total, divide it by the number of times I eat during the day, and that tells me how many grams to aim for at each meal. So at the end of the day, I'm never left wondering, oh boy, did I hit it or didn't I hit it? And I'm never left like having to pound some giant piece of protein, whether it's chicken or eggs or protein drink or whatever to meet this number, which is, you know, a borderline obsessive anyway. But if you, if you know how many times, if you know the total and you know your normal meal pattern that you enjoy eating in, you simply take that total, divide it by the number of times you normally eat and get a good estimate of what to aim for by way of protein intake at each meal. Mm. I don't want to derail where you may be wanting to take this, but so I think that's a great approach for day-to-day, everyday life. Um, My head goes to the question of, okay, what about something like Alaska and the death hike? What about this week-long backcountry hunt? What about the guy who's listening who maybe is going on a backpacking trip? So you know, in my head, and I don't know if I've talked about this on this podcast, but I've realized that on these long efforts, like these, you know, sun up to sundown long efforts, it wasn't until I talked with you that I was strategic about when I consumed like say carbs, for example. And it's like, okay, here's this 1500 foot climb we're getting ready to do. Let me make sure I have some, you know, fast tracking carbs for that. It's going to be higher intensity, et cetera. Um, So I have been strategic at the same time, if I just try to turn my head off and not be strategic and just pay attention to what my body wants during those types of efforts, I typically want less heavy, like protein foods during the day, but then actually crave some of that at night. And so again, I think going back to the big picture, the main idea is let's just make sure we hit this total. But I do feel like by at least my natural appetite, appetite during something like that, a lot of that is going to come at night. Um, I'm kind of, kind of play catch up a little bit. It's not going to be as evenly distributed throughout three to four meals as a normal day at home. Maybe when I'm on the mountain, I'm going to have like a different, I don't want to say different strategy, but just kind of a different natural pattern. Um, good, bad thoughts on that. Well, the, the strategy and the pattern are, are different, right? Because like you're, like you're highlighting the entire day is different. And to, you know, to answer the, the question you'd asked at first, which is great because this is something people ask about on times I go to Alaska times I go on a trip, gosh, even sometimes when I go on vacation, I don't worry about it. <laughs> 
because I spend 85, you know, because we all spend 85 to 90% of our time in some sort of a structured routine where we're working and we're spending time with the family, we're spending time with kids. Like for the most part, most of our lives over the course of the year looks kind of the same. We've all got a schedule because I'm, because I have somewhat control over those times and I can afford the ability to be able to aim for certain amounts, I don't worry about the three or four weeks a year where I don't. Because at the end of the day, those three or four weeks relative to the 48 are, are, are a fraction or a scratch on the surface of the, 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 the glass of consistency, right? If you're consistent 48 weeks out of the year and there's some inconsistency in four weeks, intentional inconsistency because you want to just go be on vacation and not worry about your nutrition, that's okay. The body is not going to respond any differently because you take this week off and your protein distribution's weird or your carbs are higher, your proteins are higher, or you don't train, whatever, right? So there is a there is a there is a dramatic difference whenever you're on these trips and frankly I just don't worry about it. And this is digging in a little bit even more nuanced, but my protein distribution on a backpacking trip is way less than it is at home. So, you know, at home, it tends to comprise a fourth or more of my total calories. And whenever we're hiking, it's, it's less, right? Because I'm not weight training, the strain on the muscles, not as much. Most of my calories are allocated to carbs to provide energy. So I'm not as worried about distribution or intake of the protein. And I'm not even as, I'm not aiming for near as high of a total as I am on a normal day. So what is the total? About 0.7 grams of protein per pound of body weight you're going to be pretty darn close to where you need to be in terms of maxing out that threshold. We are mostly giving people a range between 0.5 to 0.7 grams per pound of body weight when giving them targets to aim for. Now, a very, very, very important caveat to this that most people aren't aware of, and this definitely includes that example we gave earlier where a guy feels like he is above the weight that he wants to be at, is these protein goals are based off of lean mass. You're not dosing protein to total body weight whenever you have extra weight that you don't want, right? Because you're not trying to preserve your total mass. You're made up of lean mass, you're made up of water, and you're made up of fat mass. We all are, even the leanest guy on the planet is. You're not trying to dose protein on retaining what is fat mass or water. You're just trying to dose it based on the lean mass, right? So you get a guy who's at 350 or 300 or 275 or 250. And not only is that, I mean, that's a boatload of protein, but his lean mass may be 175 pounds. And so now all of a sudden, or I'm sorry, 175 grams. Now all of a sudden he finds out, oh, well, I can easily get that. And so all of a sudden he feels like, and I mean, nutrition is 90% behavior, 10% math. But now all of a sudden, whenever he feels like, oh, I can do that. Like I, I can do this. I can stick to this. And it just changes something in a person's mind to go from, I'll never be successful to, oh, well, I could do that. That's easy. Right. And it just drives compliancy, which is such a medical and a cold term, but it 
it drives compliancy, which now all of a sudden allows you to be consistent and consistent is the consistency is the mother of progress. So it just, it changes everything when you get a realistic perspective of what to aim for. Yeah. The distinction between lean mass versus totals, obviously really important for uh, quite a few folks. Yeah. Yep. So any, anything you want to cover end on, on that note, the protein oh, um, distribution part? No, that's good. Yeah. So takeaway is you can't, you can, there is no max. Like even if you hit, it's not like once it hits 30 or 40 or 50, it's all of a sudden tapped out. What matters the most is this protein pool, right? So if you think about a swimming pool, the, the, the purpose of protein is growth and repair. And that's not just of the muscle that's of your hair. That's of uh, a cut that's of surgery. That's of anything. It's the, the primary purpose of protein is growth and repair. When you consume protein, it gets broken down into small particles that are responsible for healing these places. And there is essentially a large swimming pool. So when you get injured, when you work out, when you have the pre, when you have a requisite amount that you need for just growth of the body, it takes from this pool, this swimming pool of protein. As long as that pool is full, you are not going to be deficient in the amounts that you need. So the key is knowing your total, eating the total during the day so that pool remains full. All right, so distribution and max amounts at meals don't matter it's all relative to whether or not that swimming pool has water in it wait wait is that it you're probably wondering well i thought you were talking about two different things today and we are or we were and then we started going through it and just felt like man it might be better to separate the two just so people so everyone sees them as two separate topics because if you start talking about you know too much at once they can almost seem to run together and they're not they're two totally different things so Part one is going to come out today, March 23rd. The next part is going to come out April 6th, so two weeks from today on a Wednesday. And we'll, you know, we'll still aim to tackle both of those questions. But yes, looking at the topic this week, protein distribution, certainly uh, totals matter. We do find some value in the body, quote unquote, seeing protein throughout the course of the day as opposed to there just being long periods of nothing and then exposing it to a giant steak, right? So it's, but still, it's far less nuanced than the average person would believe or might read in some sort of a popular bodybuilding magazine or training magazine or whatever. We appreciate you joining us. Join us again here in a couple of weeks as we talked about to, to talk about part two, where we'll look at nutrient timing and trying to decide, okay, do we really need to be eating within an hour of finishing our workout? Is there any value in that? And usually that comes from the advice of, uh, you need to be drinking a protein drink, finishing your last set, finishing your last rep, finishing your last lap, coming off of a trail if you're doing a training hike, to really see any value from that training carry over into increasing muscle or increasing performance. So we're going to look at, is that true? If you enjoyed this episode, please take a couple of seconds to like it, leave us a comment, share it with a friend. There's other topics that you want to hear about. Please shoot us some ideas over at info at v2pnutrition.com. Join us next week as we tackle the second piece of this. Have a great week, everyone.